Hey, it's Alex Miller with the On Stage Colorado podcast. You know, during this pandemic, a great many Colorado theater companies have come up with some interesting ways to keep the lights on, so to speak, even if they can't have a live audience in their usual indoor space. That's ranged from theaters like Buntport doing stuff in their parking lot to the Catamounts doing a show at a golf course to a great many online or virtual performances from theaters around the state. When I heard about Colorado 2020, a devised documentary from the Boulder Ensemble Theater Company aimed at capturing the voices of Coloradans over this past wacky year, I really wanted to learn more about it. In this episode, I had the chance to talk with Stephen Weitz, the producing artistic director for Betsy and one of the co-creators of the show, as well as Lindy Rosario, another co-creator who in normal times is the literary manager and dramaturg at the Denver Center Theater Company. Of course, we've all got Boulder on our minds these days after the horrific shooting there. In fact, Stephen and I were just starting this session before Lindy joined when he saw the first news alert about an active shooter at the King Supers. It's chilling to think uh, all that was going on while we were doing this interview. At the same time, it's the kind of shared Colorado experience that this show, Colorado 2020, is all about. It's about the good and the bad of the past year, and no doubt this King Supers incident would have been part of it. So, with that sobering backdrop, here's my interview with Stephen Weitz and Lindy Rosario. I'm here with Stephen Weitz, co-creator of Colorado 2020, a, a devised theater documentary. And Stephen's also producing artistic director at uh, the Boulder Ensemble Theater Company. And we're also here with Lindy Rosario, another co-creator of the documentary. So, uh, and there's a there's a really a great list of other uh, co-creators of this this show. Uh, so I just wanted to ask, uh, where, where did this uh, idea come from? How did it get started? We originally uh, received a grant from the NEA to support a production that we were planning on doing in this uh, COVID year that obviously ended up not being able to happen. Um, and they were very gracious in terms of allowing grantees to uh, use the money for different projects. Um, so we got to talking about how we could best use that money to as the, the seed for a, a project. And we got the idea of, of using it to really capture um, the thoughts and ideas and words of people from the Colorado community and, and how they could uh, talk about this year and, and what life was like in Colorado during uh, these events. Um, and that was kind of how it started. It, it morphed and evolved uh, as we brought this creative team together. Um, there were six co-creators who did all the interviewing and um, helped write the script and, and uh, helped select all the, the wonderful texts we had. Um, and so it morphed and, and, and kind of evolved through that process, but that was pretty much the genesis of it. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to figure out like what is, is devised documentary uh, a thing or did you invent that? Or i would never heard that, that term before. Uh, well, you could make the case that most docu theater is devised because the ensemble methodology around sort of like the improvisational use of text is, is considered uh, a devised piece. So similar to, companies like uh, Tectonic Theater and uh, the Laramie Project's a really great example of docu-theater where they use interviews in this way. But Tectonic actually uh, devised around that text in a very specific way. And so uh, we, from my end on the script side, we were doing something very similar. Yeah, I think it, uh, it's devised in the sense that um, we had all this rich material and we were able to select from it in order to point the focus you know, where we wanted. And, and the structure of the piece is kind of episodic. 
um, you know, there are these sort of scenes written around particular topics or subjects that, that kept coming up in our interviews. Um, so we were able to, in essence, devise it from the, you know, the vast kind of trove of material we had at hand. Okay. And so I'm, I'm trying to picture this. So um, it was uh, going around the state with a, with a camera crew. Sure. Sure. We, uh, we did it all virtually because of COVID obviously. So we did almost all the interviews over zoom. Uh, a few of them were done in person, you know, outdoors and, and things like that. Um, we recorded them, but mostly as a way to capture the text. Um, nothing that from the original interviews is being used in the final uh, piece itself. Um, we then transcribed all the text, took those transcriptions, pulled out, you know, things we found were particularly powerful or Lindy is a, a great uh, miner of text in terms of going. Um, I keep hearing this particular thing coming up about faith or, uh, you know, about a, another subject and then pulling all those pieces of, of text together and then scripting the sculpting them into a, uh, a sort of unified scene. Um, so then once we had the script finished, then we went to a filming process where the majority of the people in the, of the people we interviewed are portrayed by actors. Um, a, f- a handful of folks are uh, portraying themselves, mostly the younger uh, kids that we interviewed and also some people in the community who are performers in their own right. Uh, and it seemed weird to cast them with a performer when they're actually their own performer. Um, so everything that appears in the final piece uh, is restaged for the camera in essence. Okay. Now I get it. <laughs> I, I didn't quite get that from, uh, from when I was reading before. So, so Lindy, uh, if you were the, you were the, uh, the minor, what were some of the things that you were what, like thematically, what were the things you were really looking for? Uh, well, that all came from conversations from the creative team. So we decided that we wanted a section that really focused on, uh, George Floyd. There was something, about all of the interviews that really spoke to the idea of that metronome. So there was uh, the timer that was that was a huge a huge conversation for us. And so when I was going through the text, it was about finding anything that spoke thematically to uh, that countdown, that that time, that amount of, of time spent. And so the conversations that we had around what we wanted to include was really about uh, capturing the full perspective of all the folks in Colorado. So we wanted to make sure that rural Colorado was represented. We wanted to make sure that there were folks of all age ranges, of all ethnicities, that there were people who uh, would maybe not necessarily be ever considered per, uh, dramatic in, in their narrative. So an, an economist, for example, uh, the text that we got from them, there was a lot of science that, that had to kind of go around COVID that had to be woven into a lot of the emotional realities that people were facing going through isolation and quarantine. And so all of that was about weaving and layering in enough of the text so that it didn't feel like it was all one thing, all COVID or all isolation, that we were also balancing a lot of the trauma with a lot of the joy. People were seeming very hopeful. There was a sort of renewed sense of life and rebirth coming out of this and the hopefulness of a vaccine, especially. And and there were moments where we recognized there were some things that, you know, there was an, an election that happened this year. And so there was a lot of conversation around, like, how much do we talk about new leadership? And, and so all of that sort of played into how we structured the text. And 
I wasn't alone in that. I was accompanied by the rest of the creative team and in really making those decisions. And some of them were very difficult because it, after living with those interviews for so long, we all really wanted to fight for the ones that we felt were the most impactful. Right. Yeah. It's it, God, when you think back on 2020, it was obviously just a, just bad shit year and so much going on. Um, but a lot of it was politics and, and Linda, you, you alluded to, you know, leadership, but did, how, did you kind of try and stay away from that? Cause it's such a vortex. Yeah. I would say that's probably the least represented of all of the things that we discussed in the sort of scope of the year of 2020. Um, it mostly focused on the two pandemics, the parallel pandemics that we were all facing, which was of course, um, the COVID-19, which ravaged Colorado, really, like the numbers, the cases that we were seeing up and down and the, and the disputes on what those numbers were at any given moment were fascinating, but also the, the parallel to the pandemic of racism that, of course, has always been present and has just now been given the its due attention by the mass media and by a lot of the sort of global attention in, in the way that only a pandemic where everyone is sort of looking at the same screen at the same time can can do. And so that was something that felt too important to overlook in the way that um, a presidential election that comes every four years uh, is is less so. And so there was there was that there was the politics of the social responsibility, of course, between uh, communities and, and different members of those communities. But overall, um, I'd say that uh, we I think one of our characters was a mayor, but that was about as close as we got <laughs> to like real city politics um, and, and government politics. Stephen, would you agree? We're, we've got plenty of material for the sequel when we're, uh, we're ready to go for it. One of the other great things that came out of the process was uh, different co-creators brought their own creative stamp to different things. So, for example, uh, some folks took uh, various pieces of text and created haiku out of them, um, specific to various themes surrounding racism, historical racism, uh, the current moment, uh, what we see in you know specific communities, etc. Other folks took quotes from people and combined them into poems regarding uh, self-care and how we've taken care of ourselves and taken care of each other uh, during this stressful time. So you also, in addition to the, the kind of rich mix of all the different perspectives that you get from the interview subjects, you also get this rich mix of creativity from the team and how they chose to, to filter and develop the content. Right. So what makes it a uniquely Colorado piece, would you say? Uh, in terms of how we experience these things in Colorado versus maybe any other state. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You asked about the origins of the piece and when we first conceived it internally uh, in the staff here at Betsy, I think we did conceive of it much more politically. Um, you know, it was, it was in the, the, the run up to the election and everything was, was hot and heavy about that. Um, and the original, we, we kind of, the working title for some time was the purple project because we were thinking of it more of a, examination of what it means to be a purple state uh, in this moment. And what we discovered as we got into the interview process was that really wasn't the story. That wasn't what people were experiencing. Of course, it dominates the headlines and it dominates our lives in so many ways. But what people were really experiencing were those two pandemics that, that Lindy was talking about and how it changed their communities and changed their families and changed their perspectives on things. And that became a much more interesting story than, than some local version of 
of what we were seeing play out on the national stage. Right. Did you want to talk to that one at all, Lindy? Uh, yeah, I, I would just say that there is there is something to all of the folks that we interviewed being very clearly Colorado. And, and so, uh, for example, we had the Poet Laureate of Colorado as one of our interviewees, the chief storyteller of Denver. And so there was just something to this idea that there was narrative being built within communities here that we wanted to highlight. And so that alone to me is is why it was what makes it so primarily Colorado. I think it, it, for starters that, you know, everyone that you hear from is, is from Colorado and is part of uh, some Colorado community. One of the things we asked people to do is define their community in, in five words. And people would ask, do you mean my work? community? Do you mean where I live? Do you mean, and we would always say whatever it means to you. Um, so you get, you know, all of those different perspectives on how people fit into their personal, their, their local, their, their regional communities. Um, and then I think, you know, obviously there are, we do have a shared vocabulary and a shared experience of, of living here in this state and the things that, that are happening that are specific to this state. Um, the Elijah McLean story, I think is a, a great example of, something that had a national presence, but it's a much different experience being a, a local situation and a, a local tragedy that happened. Um, so I think, you know, that's how we really rooted it in, in the personal experience of the people who live here. I was thinking about uh, what the editing process must have been like. So you probably had, you had a ton of material that you had to winnow down. How, what, just practically, how did you do that? Did you create transcripts and go like that? Or how did it, how did it work? Uh, yeah, there was we had a lot of amazing software thanks to the technology at our disposal to create transcripts from all the interviews, which is much easier for someone like me, who's always uh, worked textually rather than orally to, to, pull all of that information. But then ultimately we all had access to all of the transcripts all of the time. So we all took a first pass. We had say if a transcript was 20 pages long, our first task was to get it to 10 pages. And then our next pass was to get it to five pages. And ultimately we ended up with a one page for each interview that had the most impactful material in it and, and categorized, itemized to where it would fit in the piece, what it was speaking to. We had sort of a, a I think it was five universal questions, but then of course, the, all the follow-ups, all the things that really made it unique to each individual interview. So um, I, I recall that there were sort of, um, I guess we, whatever we, we, I think we ended up calling them buckets <laughs> where we would just sort of take all of the information where it was like, okay, this is all talking about COVID-19 statistics, like case numbers that would all live in this bucket. All of the things that talk about Elijah McLean and, and specifically and anything around the vigil specifically would live in this bucket. And so all of those things ended up separated. And then it was about piecing the buckets together and where do they live through the narrative of the entire piece. And I can only speak to the, what we were calling ourselves the script squad of, of the piece, because once it went into production, I, I wasn't um, in that editing process. Stephen can speak more to that, but textually what we were trying to do was create a, a narrative from uh, sort of the start of 2020, as most of our interviewees understood it all the way through what we would consider an 
now ish of like what comes next out of this pandemic, what, what would be going and, and really seeing like at what points different people were feeling more heightened senses of their, of their current realities. And when were they, when was their focus split to something else? And, and where did those live in the timeline? That was really my central focus was creating the cohesive narrative based on the timeline that the interviewees were really living in at the moment. Yeah. And I think we, it was, it was a really um, insightful project for me personally as a, as an artist, because I've never participated in a devised theater process before. Um, and, you know, you get into situations where you have a really rich piece of text and it's multiple people want it for multiple things. Like I want to use it over here in this section about George Floyd. And I want to use it over here to talk about uh, historical black female experience and things like that. And sort of that, that discussion about, well, where is it most powerful? Where does it best serve? Where does it best highlight what we want to say? Um, and then the the same thing happened. You know, we ended up with a roster of, I don't know, 35, 38 pieces. And we ended up having to winnow it down to about 24. So then you have that conversation that Lindy was talking about of, well, what's the narrative we're trying to tell and, and what things are included. And if we're trying to balance those two twin pandemics, how do we give equal time to both? Um, so it really was this very kind of collaborative process where we were constantly having to, to check in and and do those evaluations. And that to me was, was a really exciting part of it. I'd say just personally, uh, what was a surprise, I guess maybe what revealed itself was I found myself sort of in a bubble to what Stephen was, was just alluding to. Like when I was sort of seeking out perspectives outside of my own specifically to include them as um, equally represented to create, I guess, Stephen, what you were saying, like around the purple state, this idea that there were folks who were very in in extreme disagreement about what was happening and how it was being handled. And I often found myself really struggling to find the folks who thought very differently from me because of the way I curate my my network. And so that was that was interesting. But when other folks, much more uh, apt folks on the creative team did find those uh, perspectives going through the transcripts, I did. I, I found myself really questioning a lot of my own ideas of how things were being handled. And I thought that was an interesting surprise because I'm, I'm someone who uh, really holds tight to their convictions. And I do believe that a lot of the sort of ordinances that are being put in place are necessary. And so when I was hearing sort of the uh, re- uh, the conflict to that, people, people being in extreme disagreement with sort of the ordinances and the policies that were meant to keep us safe, that's when I was starting to uh, understand more about the people just outside my bubble, which are still, who are still part of my community, of course. Right. I, I was reading in some of the, some of the notes that you sent over about this, that, you know, it's not just the front range that you got out to people around Colorado. Sorry, I'm wrestling with my cord here that you got out around to Colorado. So how much representation did you get from, uh, you know, rural or you know, resorts or other parts of Colorado? Uh, I'd say it's, it's present, but maybe, uh, you know, just frankly, from my point of view, maybe not as as much as we would ideally like. I think a, a big part of that is we are all based here in the metro area as the co-creators and our personal networks are largely based here in the uh, in the, the metro area. So that became kind of our 
our starting place for who to talk to. Um, from that process, we did, you know, one of the things we would specifically ask people is who else do you think we should be talking to? And that led us down some interesting avenues. Uh, you know, uh, a contact of mine put me in touch with a, a fruit farmer out on the Western slope. And uh, we interviewed, we interviewed multiple people from, you know, Colorado Springs and further down South and things like that. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't claim it's an equal representation across the whole state, but the population isn't equally represented across the whole state either. So, uh, you know, maybe it balances out that way. Yeah, I would just add that I, I think that the variety of perspectives we we gained was so eye-opening in, in the way that we had someone who was, um, who had experienced being through the prison system to someone who works in government, to someone who works in science. And there was something about the overall hopefulness that sort of that was the thread being pulled through each one of these um, narratives that were all seemingly very disparate. And it, it was just something that I, I really took away as, as a common theme of the whole piece. So uh, I wanted to ask if there were any, any real surprises that, uh, you know, thematically, not just one person, but like, you know, things that came across that maybe surprised you in, uh, in the course of this. Yeah, I would say that the thing that I found really remarkable was, and maybe this is, uh, speaks to my uh, not uh, giving enough credit to my, my fellow humans, was um, how powerful the, the things people had to say were. This just incredible power to their experiences and, and the things they were saying and the things that they were going through, which I think is a testament to what we are all living through right now. That It, it is a, a heightened time. We are learning things about ourselves and each other that are not part of our, our normal daily lives. But, you know, just I remember being in the when we were filming it at the theater and hearing it out loud for the first time, really, of hearing those words. And I was like, this is this is incredibly powerful. And these are off the cuff responses that people gave to interview questions on a Zoom call. Um, and I, I, that was really, really impactful to me. That was one of the things I wanted to ask if there was if you could give me an example of like what was one of the more powerful or or uplifting kind of stories? Uh, one of the things that, that jumps out to me is um, we made a decision, uh, interestingly, kind of a good way into the progress process of, hey, we don't have any uh, young people represented here. Um, and we, we deliberately went back and interviewed a, a group of young people ranging from kindergarten to, to high school. And one of the things that really jumped out to me was, uh, you know, the, the wisdom from the mouth of babes kind of idea of the just profound things these young Young people had to say, ranging from high schoolers who are so much more activated and uh, aware of what's happening in the world um, and, and participating in making change and the way they could speak so eloquently about it, which I found incredibly moving all the way down to the youngest ones for whom, you know, they're saying things like, I don't understand racism. I don't know why that's a thing. And that kind of just amazing kind of wisdom that they already have in their lives. So, I, you know, just things like that that jump out to me in, in terms of really powerful moments. Great. Well, it sounds fascinating to, uh, I, I just love this. I love the idea of, of doing these kinds of interviews and then 
acting them out like that. So uh, do you think this is something that you would do again, even COVID or not? I'm pretty tired. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think it's going to be part of the equation that we as an individual company and that theaters everywhere are going to have to answer as we come back out of this uh, restricted time and, and, you know, being separated from each other and from audiences. How does this work, whether it be digital or whether it be in person, be part of our, our vocabulary going forward? Um, you know, I think it's it's really powerful. I grew up in a community with a theater that I worked with that was very much engaged in this kind of work in terms of sourcing things from uh, members of the community and turning them into really powerful dramatic pieces. Um, so it's something that I have always appreciated. I've just never done before, but I can definitely see it being something that continues to be part of our, our repertory in some form in the future. I might not take 10 months to, to put it all together, but <laughs> yeah, I could see it acting out and um, acted out on stage would, would be really interesting. Lindy, from, from a literary perspective, I was just wondering um, when you, when the script was put together and I know there are, there are a lot of people uh, involved in it, but were you able to create sort of a, a narrative arc uh, out of it? Yeah, I believe so. I, th I think there, there was sort of a, I would say the narrative arc of Colorado came out of it. And so there was, uh -huh. there was sort of the start. And for me, it did, it did fall within uh, the timeline of the calendar and the ways in which all people were receiving information at the same time through almost the same channels and, and it, those, and those media outlets, the way in which we, those narratives were being constructed were very telling in the ways in which people were um, processing and unpacking that information for us in the interviews. So that was something that I, I did find was an arc because we all we all traveled that together. It was it was our shared journey because all of the information, though it was different, was coming to us at the same time. And I would say it also, um, in a lot of ways, was like a traditional uh, theater process in that you're building a journey for an audience, you know, that you're always thinking about what's the journey that we're taking the audience on. And we had to keep that very much in mind in terms of, you know, we had these kind of modular blocks of different scenes of, hey, this has been pretty heavy for... Uh, a good while here. We need to figure out a way to break the tension or lighten the mood or go somewhere else for a little while. Or, hey, we've really been in the pandemic world for a while with lots of information and maybe it's been really intellectual or science heavy. And, and can we shift into something that's more visceral and more emotional? Um, and that, you know, charting that course uh, was really interesting just in terms of, of making decisions about how the, the emotion of the piece was going to ebb and flow. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was I've, I've been listening to there's been a lot of retrospective pieces and podcasts, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks and thinking about like what it was like a year ago when we just we didn't know there were so many things we didn't know that that we now know. And you can kind of see that, uh, you know, that storyline and how it evolved and, and, and still some of the interesting parts about how even given that some people are, are still acting like, uh, I don't know, they didn't know. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, God, it's just gonna, it's gonna take us years to unpack this whole thing. It is. It's one of the things I was, I was concerned about as the process got longer than we had originally envisioned is that it was going to lose its timeliness. Um, but here we are, you know, 10 months after we started this process and it, it is all still very, very relevant if for no other reason than it, 
it's either still happening or it's still something we need to be talking about and unpacking and figuring out what went wrong, what went right, how we can do better, what we can do going forward. And I think, you know, Lindy mentioned that earlier that the piece kind of finishes on that idea of what do, what do we need going forward? And I think that's really where we wanted to leave things. All right. Uh, Stephen, can you give us the, the deets on uh, when this is going to be uh, available to watch? Sure. It starts uh, streaming April 5th, um, and uh, you can buy tickets uh, at www.betc.org and get all the information there on how to do uh, all that stuff. So it'll be on Vimeo for like a couple of weeks? Uh, yes, it'll have a, a two-week initial streaming window. Uh-huh. And then is that something like this? Why Why do you have a streaming window? Why not just put it up and make it available all the time? I was just curious about that decision. Equity. <laughs> the union, uh, you know, because it involves union actors, uh, basically every chunk of viewing time you want to have available is another uh, payout uh, to the, the union and the, the actors. So it's just a, a limitation because of, of that. Okay. Yeah, I, I get it. Well, I'm hopeful we'll be able to show it in the future, uh, you know, whether it's uh, for a private screening or, you know, things like that. But I'm hopeful it'll have a little uh, life beyond that two weeks. All right. Well, Stephen Weitz and uh, Lindy Rosario, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us on the On Stage Colorado podcast here. And I look forward to seeing uh, Colorado 2020 here in a couple of weeks and uh, break legs with it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 